Hello friends, welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. This week, I am sitting down with another special guest. His name is Andrew, and I met Andrew uh, through his fiance, who was a, uh, the guest on our show last week. So hopefully you tuned in and caught that episode with Dr. Brianna Lutz, uh, who is um, a naturopathic doctor from Edmonton. And so Andrew is her fiance, and uh, that's how we met. But then, funny story, Kelly and I were doing uh, some filming up in Edmonton for the Ruby Apron for, with our friend Kaylin, who teaches uh, baking workshops up in Edmonton and we asked Kaylin to bring in a, a couple of fake uh, workshop guests to participate in this workshop where they were going to be learning how to bake sourdough bread and in walks Andrew and so we just by complete total coincidence and Kelly was talking with Andrew about how uh, she goes to to see um, Dr. Lutz uh, and it was just complete coincidence so this is now we've Andrew and I have had the chance to hang out a couple of times uh, Andrew and Brianna came down today and had lunch with Kelly and I and the kids so we've been hanging out getting to know each other a little bit and after interviewing uh, Dr. Lutz for last week's episode I said Andrew has a great story that we need to sit you down for a podcast episode as well so Andrew thank you so much for agreeing to do this and take a bit of extra time here in Basha yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here. I love rural Alberta and the drive down is just so nice. Yeah, welcome to our, our quaint little community. Um, so I guess I should have added that Andrew is a horticulturalist. So to kind of, uh, instead of me trying to introduce Andrew, I'm gonna, <laughs> Andrew, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. But why I thought it would be great to, to, uh, to throw you into an episode and have this conversation together is that I work a lot with the farming community and agricultural community, and uh, I've gotten to know so many different farmers. We are an agricultural community here, and just the few things that you and I have talked about today and the other day at the sourdough workshop um, about your experiences as a horticulturalist and the challenges that you face and just other topics as well. I thought there's so much of that that could totally connect to our purpose for this online community. Uh, the Six Ways from Sunday, because Six Ways from Sunday is really not about um, a specific religion or a specific set of beliefs. It's, it's really more about exploring how, as humans, we can support each other and develop the tools mm. to answer life's big questions, to live the, the best life that we can. So Brianna and I had a fantastic conversation about how her work supports that. I would love for you to tell me a little bit about your story and how a city boy ended up on the farm growing, uh, is it hasp, uh, Hascap fruit. Hascap yeah. berries. So this is a really unique story <laughs> that in itself is just fascinating. But I know that we'll, we'll from there, we'll dive into other philosophical um, tangents. So... Tell us about Hascaps and your story of ending up on the farm. Yeah, I guess how to sum it all up because it's been a while now. Uh, so I guess kind of starting off, uh, I went to school in Olds, Alberta for production horticulture. So that's my first education. Uh, I realized really quickly when I was in Olds that um, you need money to make money and that you there were people that had a farming background that, or a horticulture background that were coming into or going to step into operations of long-term success. And then there was like myself as well as other city people that um, 
we kind of just didn't really have much of a hope. So I took a night welding class while I was there uh, after my first year and realized that I need to get into the trades to make money. Um, so as soon as I graduated, I went right up into the trades. And so now I have a, a welding ticket and a boilermaking ticket. I've been with the 146 Boilermaker Union since 2006 now. So it's been oh, wow. a while. Uh, and now I currently work for Suncor as an execution coordinator. So to sum it all up, um, in a refinery, there's parts of the, the plant that go down. And so in spring and fall, they, they uh, section off those areas, they shut them down, and then we need to repair them. Um, and so I'm in charge of making sure all the different general coordinator or general contractors are doing their job and doing it on schedule. So Got I it. kind of, I'm the middleman between everybody. So I'm the, the networker. And you're, so you're working in Fort McMurray on kind of your doing shift work. Yeah. So you're not living up there. You live in Edmonton. You and Brianna live in, in Edmonton and you're kind of back and forth then. So why, or how did you start developing this crazy vision for getting into horticulture um, while doing the, those trades work. So the, the trades was kind of your, t- your moneymaker, yeah. your way of d- building up some capital. Has it, have you always kind of had a dream of getting yeah. into horticulture? Completely. Um, I, and I even, even, even explained what a Hascap uh, fruit is. So <laughs> <laughs> going on tangents already. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I guess I should explain what is a Hascap. So uh, Hascap, they're originally from Russia and Japan. Uh, so they've been doing breeding work over there since the 50s and 70s. Um, even though the, the fruit itself grows on the whole northern hemisphere of the world. So we actually have native ones in Canada. Okay. Um, the, the natives call them swamp fly berry. They're really low <laughs> and they don't taste good. But anyways, we do have native ones. Uh, and so in 99, um, uh, the University of Saskatchewan brought some varieties over from Russia and uh, Japan and then started doing breeding work there. And so they, since about, I think it's 2009, they've been releasing commercial varieties and they're becoming big, like better and better and better. So they're now the world's largest breeding program oh, wow. uh, for Hascap fruit. Um, and so I actually, in, as soon as I graduated from Olds in 2005, uh, my auntie and uncle, they're like, hey, we got this extra land for you. We can't drive any equipment through this. Here's two acres. What do you want to do with it? And so I just went through kind of catalogs and I'm like, what can I do? I have so much stuff. And so I planted all these like vegetable seeds and all this other stuff that didn't yeah. work out. Yeah. And, um, because the, the joys of being young and partying and tending to a farm, that's an hour drive away. So yeah. partying farming, but, uh, what ended up really, uh, sticking was the horticulture perennial, uh, shrub kind of stuff. So I planted, um, sour cherries, currants and, uh, has caps. And so as I know, as I know now, anyways, that I'm the first grower in all of Alberta, which is kind of cool. Wow. But so these are old varieties that, that nobody sells anymore, that they were just trials from Russia and Japan, all this kind of stuff. Actually, all the stuff I grew is from Russia. It tastes horrible. But uh, anyway, so I, I always joke and I uh, like to say that the, the deer love the cherries, the bugs love the currants, and I fell in love with the hascaps. So, <laughs> so it was cool because I got a lot of time to experiment with like, what is it like to pick them by hand? Yeah. So I learned quickly. I need to go wholesale because they're not a hand-picking fruit. I learned what it's like to sell to local restaurants. Very labor-intensive. Uh, not You don't make much money off of it. So then I, I changed my plan. So as I was growing up as an as a individual, I was also growing up as a business owner before I even mm. really had a business. Um, so I should say I'm the owner and operator of Rosie Farms. That's just northwest uh, of Edmonton. So from downtown Edmonton, it's about a 45-minute drive or it's 30 kilometers south of Westlock on Highway 44. Okay. So I bought the land in 2014 in the fall. Um, 2015, I did some land reclamation trying to get everything ready and then wrote my uh, business plan. 
2016. Um, I got the 26 acre orchard ready. I planted 10,000 plants, which is about 10 acres. And then now I've been, in, I guess, built an irrigation system. And um, wow. so I've been building it up more and more and more. And it's, I think one of my greatest loves now is just seeing how, you know, spring comes and it's like, what's going to happen? Yeah. You know, has everything, because everything with uh, agriculture, horticulture is so like a year removed. So for me, it's the benefit I'm going to get from last year, I'm going to see this year. Yeah. But, uh, and it's yeah. high risk. It's you're, you're at the mercy of um, the weather and yeah. just the timing of precipitation has to be just right. Um, how does it compare to, I mean, you had so many options of what you could have done with that land. Why Haskett berries and how does it compare to the, the risk that you'd be taking or the, or the potential profitability or reward yeah. of other things that you could have could so have done? I was kind of like, uh, when I was looking at schooling, when I was in high school, I was like, you know, intensive agriculture, all that kind of stuff. It's like, that's so asset uh, intensive. You know, I, I joke and say, you know, a farmer is asset rich, cash poor. So, you know, farming, traditional farming is out. I never thought about that. Uh, horticulture seemed like, because it's intensive agriculture in many ways, it, it just seemed much more feasible. Um, so at the same time, like being a horticulturalist or being someone that deals with plants, I mean, you get to take a seed or a cutting and you get to make it and turn it into whatever you want. So yes, there's the, the you know, the genotype saying that genetically it's going to do this, but then there's the phenotype, which is the environment that you're putting it in. And as a grower, you get to... Uh, you know, foster that growth to what mm. you want, which mm -hmm. is, it's a lot of fun. Um, but I think it's the reason why I chose horticulture and perennial, uh, bush crops is because when I was in school, I just saw, you know, I guess there's, there's, sorry, off on tangents, there's two things that my professors taught me that I, the quotes that I live by, it's, uh, what makes you different and change or die. So, mm. What makes you different is I'm going through and we're, you know, I'm learning about greenhouses. I'm like, okay, great. That's, you know, a million dollars per acre. Uh, I can't afford that. And everyone has, there's so many cucumber farms or whatever. It's like, well, I could do vegetables. It's like, well, it's hard to compete against California. Yes. They're more nutritious and um, better flavors up here, but it's so labor intensive. And now each individual crop has its own equipment. So it's like kind of that's out. And then I started getting into the fruit side of things. And that's when really antioxidants and the, the popularity of that came really came in full force. The health benefits in the, yeah. yeah. It, at that time, it was currants and Saskatoons. We didn't yeah. really know that has caps are like they're three times the antioxidants, five times the anti-inflammatories in a blueberry. Wow. So kind of make it like sugary mush in some ways. But uh, <laughs> so I, I did my research when I was in school, like, well, why not a Saskatoon farm? And I learned that, uh, you know, his, history repeats itself that uh, there was a grower in southern Saskatchewan in the early 2000s that told everyone to grow that they'll buy them out at a huge price and then all these people grew them and then once they came to harvest which takes six years to seven years for fruition so it's it's uh cash intensive but really long-term payoff yeah. that uh they're like oh yeah so we'll pay that price if you have them sorted and sent to us so you pay for distribution and you pay oh for basic processing so um I'm like, okay, well, Saskatoons have been sullied. There are people have, like, farmers have undercut themselves so much that they can't sustain it because farmers do what they do best, which is grow. Yeah. Um, there's some really good salespeople, but a lot of times farmers just want to sell to one big company and then be done with it. So I looked at Hascaps as saying, like, this is a huge potential. It's growing um, overseas, which I, I was in Japan and South Korea on a trades mission uh, this last September, October, and got to see how the actual industry is there. So it was very, very cool to see you know there's the theory of what everybody talks about and all this hearsay and then there's the actual like what is it like there mm. um but yeah so for me i guess it's 
I saw the long-term gain. I saw the long-term benefit. Um, and most things I do in life is like, I, I try and think, well, like I did triathlon, competitive triathlon for a long time. Uh, so I did my first one in 2006. I've always been a competitive runner, but I didn't, I tried getting my pro card in 2012. So it's like, as soon as I started 2006, I'm like, well, how long is it going to be until I get my pro card? Oh man, it takes years of building your, um, training age to get there. Yeah. So it's like six years. And so I was committed 2006. I knew it was going to take that long. And then after 2012 and I didn't make it, but that's okay. Uh, different story for a different day, <laughs> but, uh, I went to horticulture and kind of okay. grew up in. So how old are you now? Uh, 33. So just a couple years younger than me. I, I really noticed that in my thirties, the something taking five or six years feels so different than like when you're young, it's like you could do this now, but it's going to take five or six years. It's like, Oh man, I don't know. Like that's a long time. Now you're like, no, oh, it's only five, six years. Yeah. Like, Oh, my mortgage is going to be renewing, renewing in just another five years. That's just around the corner. Like as you age a, a chunk of time feels like shorter, right? Cause it's, I guess it makes sense because it's a like five five years when you're uh 35 years old that's only you know like a seventh of your life whereas five years when you're 15 that's a third of your life yeah some of your thoughts yeah, yeah. i agree with you but uh so so you've always kind of been a person who's willing to play the long game or, or invest and work hard to see a reward that might only show itself you know down the road and and i mean in agriculture and obviously horticulture is the same. You <laughs> yeah. have to be wired yeah. that way or you're never going to make it. Um, so who then would you be marketing these? Cause I've never heard of this fruit. Yeah. It, I've seen the pictures on your Instagram and they're beautiful little, well, not so little, they're pretty large berry, like similar to a blueberry almost, but quite a bit larger. Yeah. What, what is the market for those and how do you get people aware that they have, you know, such, uh, great health benefits and, and uses. Yeah. So I guess it's almost like marketing is money. So, um, our, our predominant, so I'm with a group of growers, uh, called North 49 fruit. We all work together and, um, for argument, we're all across Canada, seven of us are in Alberta and we all work to do together to sell and market Hascap fruit, which is, I mean, the people that I'm working with are just absolutely incredible. Cool. Um, but our main, we, we sell as much as we can domestically, but the thing is, is a lot of companies and we sell ingredients. Uh, the toughest thing for us is that people don't know what a has cap is and we don't really have much of a processing industry in Alberta because we just don't have as many people. Like, you know, you go to Tokyo, which, Oh, don't quote me on this one, but I want to say it's, well, it's more than the whole, um, population of Canada, I think, or pretty close to it. So you have one city that's the same size as our that's entire crazy. country. Yeah. So they can take on a lot more than what we can. So we try and sell domestically, but we don't have the volume of people or masses to be able to deal right. with that. So we're, we're doing predominantly overseas because they have the infrastructure to be able to do it and they have the markets that know of it. Um, so even though it is an amazing superfood, uh, we just don't have the processing here. But so we are selling to a, as many local country, or companies as we can, but mm. our, our end game at this point is um, overseas because they have the volumes. Yeah. So you're shipping it as like fresh fruit or freeze dried or yeah. processed in some way? So we have uh, three major uh, ingredient products right now. So one is topping, which is kind of, you know, 10% sugar. It's something you just add to a product and it's just done. It's amazing. Uh, that's what we promptly sell locally. And then we have uh, IQF frozen fruit, so individually quick frozen, so just frozen fruit where uh, they're individual. Yeah. And then we also have puree, which is high pressure pasteurized. So mm -hmm. it's using pressure to 
uh, pasteurize it, which then preserves wow. the nutraceutical side of things. Because if you use heat, uh, it destroys a lot of it. Right. So a lot of times when you see things like juice that are like, you know, acai juice or whatever, it's like, yeah, that's high in antioxidants in theory, but it was pasteurized with heat. So what's left over? So we were we really stressed when we were going through uh, the, the R&D of this. It's like, man, like we really, like we have so much passion and belief in our product. Hascaps are amazing. They taste phenomenal, really intensity and flavor. It's like, how do we preserve that? And so that's what we found. Yeah. And obviously um, you couldn't have done that. Those, the, uh, a lot of that crucial work, that, the research, the development, the marketing, if you weren't tied into this network of other producers, right? Like to take that on, on all by yourself oh, yeah. would be insane. Yeah. So you're, how many acres did you say you have again? So I've planted 26 acres. What's going to be happening for you this season? Because we're just right into spring right now. The snow's almost all gone. There's a couple little <laughs> chunks here and there around town. Um, what, what are your feelings on, on what this, this growing season is going to look like for you? So I love the seasonality of this industry because it's, you have planting in the winter and you have pulling weeds in the summer. Yeah. So for me, it's, you know, make the plan, work the plan. And so a lot of, and I, I think my favorite thing about all this is just the creativity side of things. So winter's a great time because I just get to sit down and really kind of soul search of saying, what do I want to do? And, you know, work my business plan and see how it, how it actually has followed through. Yeah. Um, so for me, this last summer, sorry, this last winter, I um, uh, hired an architect, hired a structural engineer and started designing a processing facility. And so my altruistic belief system of almost you know, delusion was like, okay, this thing's <laughs> going to cost me X amount of dollars. This is what I can afford. This is how much of a harvest I'm going to have. Yeah. And then as I'm working with my architect and he's sending me back, um, prints, I started getting quotes from companies and I'm just like this, I cannot afford this year. So I, I broke ground already to build the foundation for everything or lay the, the clay foundation. Um, but then now the price is so high and I'm only going to have like 10,000 pounds, which sounds like a lot, but when you're a commercial operation and you have huge input costs, it's not enough. So, uh, you know, my break-even point on this processing facility is 80,000 pounds, which will be maybe next year, but more likely the year after. So yeah. this year is just going to be kind of a limp along. Um, yeah. I'm going to be getting a, a reefer sea can and just freezing it on site and just bagging has caps. So a uh, little different than what North 49 has for quality assurance, because we're really strict with you know, using uh, like gap good agricultural practices in our fields. And then we use CFA Canadian food inspection agency yep. for our processing facility. So we meet the highest level of food safety possible with North 49. Just at this time, I can't afford it with Rosie farms. So I, I have to keep the kind of the long haul. It's like North 49 is my future and everything that I believe in and everything I'm working towards, but I can't afford it right now. So I need to think of, well, what can I do now to build towards that? So right. I'm going to be, small IQF freezing with my harvester, um, which I, I bought uh, a week ago. So it's a half row pull behind your tractor, fancy piece of equipment, but huh. it, it's just kind of everything just ticks together. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned at the, at the very beginning that it's just not practical to pick these fruits by hand. So that your commercial harvester is a piece of machinery that you're pulling behind a tractor and it's raking them off the bushes or something like that. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's a half row harvester. So it, 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 um, pulls over so it goes over top of half of the bush and then it pulls it over at like a 45 degree angle and then there's uh, a shaking head that uh, oscillates and shakes hmm. and it, it, it rotates at the same pace as your travel um, and then it, the plant then sorry the berries then fall onto a conveyor belt which is only like a two or three inch drop 
and then it goes to another conveyor belt, which then has a blower, which cleans off leaves and frogs and birds wow. and sticks and you know, all the fun stuff. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. the the innovation and and the just some people have this brain that they can invent something that is so intricate and so complicated that like you we we're so disconnected from our food that mm. you look at anything in the produce aisle of a grocery store and most people would have no clue how it was produced where it came from or how it was harvested and a lot of things like they're so delicate like berries that to do them on a commercial scale it requires some pretty phenomenal engineering totally um so this is kind of your your dream is to see this really grow and to scale and to become profitable that you'd be able to quit your job up north i'm assuming and, and make this a full-time effort and and have it be your your kind of career going forward um what i'd love to talk with you about is so last week when brianna and i were chatting about her her career and why she does the work that she does i find it so interesting to talk about the the why and and you and i have been chatting just throughout (laughs) like this afternoon and at lunch and stuff before the podcast about that as well that it's it's not the the what, it's the why that is always so fascinating with anything in life. So, but but at the same time, you often, I in my, in my life, I've found that you often can't see what the why is until you're looking at it in the perspective of, you know, looking in your past. So, like for me, I, I was just sharing with you that I went into school to be an aerospace engineer. I, yeah. I, I knew in high school that that's what I wanted to do. And I was so passionate about it, I thought. And then when I was finally doing it, I, th- I realized that I actually am not that passionate about this. There's a lot of things about this, this type of work that is just like soul crushing to me. Yeah. Just to be, be sitting at a desk and pushing paper and being in this, stuck in this cubicle. And I realized that I, was, I needed more uh, outlets for my creativity and to be doing something creative. And so for me, it wasn't, and then I kind of accidentally got into filmmaking and to, into doing creative, more creative things. So I didn't know my, what my why was until I looked back on it and, oh, that's why I'm doing that. It wasn't like a future planning thing. Like, this is what I'm going to do and this is why. Yeah. So you are in kind of this interesting phase of your life where you've really committed to this path and you know that it's what you want but you've got enough uh, track behind you to use a running reference <laughs> that you can look back and say like, okay, here's how it's going. Here's how it might adjust the kind of the course going forward. Have you got a sense of like the why that you have behind this whole venture? And I mean, you're in kind of this uh, exciting fi- yeah. place where you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to unfold. Like what, tell me a little bit about that, that the why behind it. Yeah, uh, it's funny, you nail on the head, it's kind of, it's almost like you need to to fall a few times before you need to, before you realize why you're falling. Um, So the why for me is why do I do it? It's because I just love creating. I love working with people. I like making things happen. Um, I think one of the reasons why I'm successful is because I just like taking things and driving them hard. Sometimes I'm, that's what's made me successful in the trades is, you know, you know, there's a problem to be solved and you drive to solve that problem, whatever it takes. Um, so for me, it was same thing is that, you know, I got into horticulture because I love creating and I didn't know this at the time. And it wasn't until about three years ago, even so it was quite recent that it was actually, uh, Brie, her marketing teacher, uh, 
I sat down with her, was just uh, asking her some questions and she's like, you need to do like a soul search of like, where do you want to be in five years and 10 years? And so she mm. gave me this like two page write up and it's beautiful. And to kind of sum it up, she's like, um, you need to find a, a clear notepad that you is specifically for this, that you like a pen that you love and you need to set up yourself for this, this kind of, um, soul searching. She's like, do whatever it takes for you to find yourself, like to make you as most you know, like you're as comfortable as possible. Okay. So for me, it was a midday, beautiful run, a sunny day. So I went for a run and I came back and I just, uh, sat in the bedroom with, um, nothing playing, just very quiet. And then I just started thinking like, well, what do I enjoy in life? And so from there it was, uh, I wrote down everything that I, everything I enjoy. And then I said, well, where do I want to be in five years and where do I want to be in 10 years? And really the thing that I got out of this is that, um, I want to be the guy, the old man that pokes things with a stick and figures out why is that happening? Like, you know, <laughs> is this growing? Do I see this frog or I see this beetle or I see, uh, this weed even as an indicator. It's like, well, why is it here and how can I change it? Or do I want this and not change it? So for you, was it already a given when you started this kind of mental exercise that, uh, your future was going to be highly centered around something ecological, that there was going to be nature and, uh, uh, growing something uh 100%. something natural like yeah. so for you it wasn't like hmm, do i want to be still doing welding or do i want to be doing horticulture you weren't wait like you weren't weighing those two things it was you already knew for sure that you wanted to be hands in the dirt doing something 100 percent. Okay. I, I got in the trades to get out of the trades <laughs> don't tell my boss but I, I love what i do as a, a tradesman i love the people that i'm around but it's just not the lifestyle i really want i think everybody should do uh, trades for a while especially mm -hmm. in alberta just to understand that lifestyle but um yeah I, i've always been the the guy that's in the green uh you know i always love like why does life live um and figure like in my farm like walking around and finding out why is this like i saw a, a giant ground beetle which is a, a pinnacle predator in the um in the ecosystem like to find that in my orchard in the center of it after having it go from a monoculture um farming operation of two years of back-to-back -back canola uh to seeing this ground beetle in the middle of my orchard meaning like i'm doing something right like that is the That's greatest so joy exciting. i could get so it kind of going back to the why it's i'm finding now with my own farming operation that uh, just like with any business, it goes from, it goes from initially the product to now being the business. And so I'm having this interesting time of trying to juggle between like doing business work that has to be done, the financials, uh, the paperwork grants, you know, the business plan, um, sales, like things that I don't really want to do to also do the things I love doing. So I'm trying to shift myself. And especially in this day and age where like, uh, I love Tim Ferriss. He uh, has his own podcast and he has yeah. uh, the four hour work week. It's, you know, how do you streamline yourself and how do you um, use your energies properly to be efficient? And so yeah. for me, a big thing is finding out how do I put my emotional energies to things because I get burnt out really quickly and I'm not productive. So it's like, sure, I can be time efficient, but if I'm going to lock out an hour of time for doing, um, say, a grant, well, if I'm emotionally drained going into that, well, I'm not, it's, it's, it's not time wasted. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. That. He also talks about outsourcing the things that you hate doing. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, like the stuff that is just torture that you you know, you're going to procrastinate and put off because you hate doing it or it's not your strong suit. Hire somebody to do that piece of it. And everything is so easy nowadays to be able to get these like, um, virtual assistants yeah. or getting a third party contractor. Freelancers online. Yeah. I, I got my architect through, um, Upworks. I have a, a writer friend that I, I yeah. hired. Like, I mean, it's just 
we live in such a different age. Oh, the, the possibility like, to be alive right now, when you look at the the entirety of human yeah. history and and the evolution of our species, to be alive right now is so <laughs> crazy. I mean, to just be alive is crazy. Yeah, but to be alive right now is so incredible with the opportunities that we have. Like, never before have we had the luxury of sitting down with our favorite pen <laughs> after a nice sunny run and to ask ourselves, where would I really like to be? Like for most of the evolution of humans, it was just like, well, alive. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, yeah. like, I'd like to be alive. I'd like to not die of the black <laughs> plague or whatever, <laughs> or war or whatever. And so we live in this kind of bubble almost or this little sliver of time hmm. throughout history where we get to, we get to have the, the luxury and the option of saying, well, if, if my wildest dreams could come true, what would I really want to create with this little bit of time I have on earth? Yeah. And so for you, I can hear in your story that it wasn't about this specific fruit. Like you'd said, if, if um, Saskatoon berries had had a better prognosis, 100%, you yeah. would have gone that way. Yeah. But so for you, it's not about the specific um, species of plant that you're producing, but it's about this process of creation and of challenging yourself to build something that yeah. you can um create a sustain yourself from and create a living from and and see it grow see yeah. it succeed right yeah has caps are really unique too because it, how often do you get to enjoy a brand new fruit it's like stumbling uh. upon blueberries for the first time right like it's just it's a very it comes with its huge challenges because no one knows what it is yeah um but it comes with so many benefits because you kind of get to invent a new industry. Like I, I'm a founder of the Hascap Alberta Association, which was a, a very unique experience. And then with North 49, I'm a, a co-founder of that. So it's, it's phenomenal to, you know, do these processes that if I was to say, get into vegetable farming, yeah, I could do it, but it'd be just a different way of doing it. You'd be just another carrot yeah. farmer or whatever. And with, with Hascap growers, it's, it's, coming like we're all collaborative like we're not yeah. really competitive at all like we, we all share information it's a phenomenally great group of people well the more p people you get uh involved it, it's better for everybody right yeah so you mentioned that you were the first person to be planting them in alberta right yeah so how many are doing it now is there have there are there some Ooh, i think right now we have producers we have 36 members with hascap alberta oh wow um and so that's just like typically, well, I guess it's a mix of people. So it's commercial people. It's also uh, backyard farmers and it's people that have like a thousand plants. Um, I'm also on the board with Alberta Farm Fresh, which is the, uh, uh, the farm to market association. And so uh, we have so many of our members have uh, has caps, like they grow has caps, but it's, it's a really small amount. You know, it's kind of like the you pick right. scenario or they, they sell them to a farmer's market. Um, so a lot of people are growing has caps as a diversity to their own farming operation. Sure. Um, but I forget the statistics, but we have, yeah, I don't remember how many acres, but we're, we're growing quite steadily. Um, I also think that we've kind of been stagnant almost the last year and a bit for the reason of the, the mission of has bird association was to have one single voice, uh, so that we can then have the government support us or industry support us. And the other thing is to educate growers on the pauses, but also the negatives of starting at your own um, orchard, because previously it was the, the industry was 
driven by propagators who make money off of selling plants. So of course, what are they going to say? You can make millions of dollars off of hazcaps if you buy these plants. They don't tell you that, like they don't tell you that how much more work it is. So if you're selling to a farmer and the best thing they, the thing that they do best is grow, awesome. But with hazcaps, because it's so new, you need to harvest, you need to um, freeze. You need, if you want, you can value add. They need to do sales and marketing and you need to do distribution. So it's like, great, growing is one. So I think what we've done as a collection of growers is we've been like, yes, we'd love it if you start a hazcap orchard, but we will tell you the positives and the negatives. So people are coming into it a lot more informed. Yeah, more informed. Which then is the security for us in the industry that we're not a Saskatoon, we're not like the Saskatoon industry. There's some really successful Saskatoon farmers out there in Alberta, but um, we want to make sure that hazcap growers don't undercut each other to the point that it's not profitable Mm because it's a really expensive industry to get into because you got to buy everything from scratch right bc blueberries man you throw a stone there's a processing center and there's a contractor that harvest and sell for you so it's just very different but we doesn't mean we can't learn from them yeah and so a lot of us we go over to bc and they've done it they've been doing it for 60 70 years so we can learn a lot and i go over i go um this last year alone i was over there twice visiting some friends and just learning what is their industry what's going on that's really cool. Yeah. We in this again back to like what a unique time to be alive with the internet and just living in such a globally connected world. There, I mean, you mentioned that you were in like Tokyo, right? Yeah. There's there's things that you can learn from looking at other industries, even or uh, whether it's equipment or um, I actually I, I do a lot of work with uh, a group of uh, farmers that bring. Uh, seed for cattle grazing like for uh, growing forages and they bring they've developed seeds that work really well in New Zealand Mm -hmm. and then they plant them in Alberta to extend the growing season because they'll perform really well in the late fall and extend the grazing season and I I look at that and I think how cool is that that somebody who moved to Canada who's originally from Australia and a guy from New Zealand formed a company where they can take things that they've learned from New Zealand and Australia and benefit cattle producers in Alberta. Like totally. That's, that's so amazing. Yeah. I, I, it reminds me of like, uh, is it better to be the top 10% of two categories or to be the top uh, 1% of one category? So, you know, by being pretty like really good in two separate random categories, you're able to perceive those problems in a very different manner. Well, if you're, the best, say, uh, grain farmer, and all you know is grain, well, you potentially can only drive what you know. But if you come from a different background, then you have the ability, like, you know, um, farmers that go to school for, say, marketing or sales or distribution or, or value chain, they come into it saying, like, yes, I get that this product can be this, but now let's completely flip it on its head. Um, when I was younger, I did a lot of traveling. Um, so I spent probably about three years of just kind of traveling around and a third of that time frame was literally just being out of country, but that has affected how I look at, uh, agriculture or farming. Mm. Like I went to Thailand and I went to an agriculture fair and they looked like carnival rides more. They looked like combines for uh, <laughs> rice, but you know, so it's to see how they do things or other people do things and bring it back home. Yeah. Like our technology for harvesting is out of Poland. Um, Interesting. So, you know, great. I've been to Oregon a few times to see how they do their hazcap industry, which they have a a breeder down there who's incredible. But yeah, to to sum up the stories, it's the more more diverse you can have and the more experiences you have and the more you surround yourself with um, powerful people that kind of contradict you or look at things in a different paradigm, man, the better off you're going to be because 
I don't want to like for me to like, I have a graphic designer friend and I have, I think I have a good creative eye, but I'm going to allow her to create for me because she understands me, but I know that I'm not going to do anywhere near to the work that she does. And so kind of going back to the kind of Tim Ferriss things is get someone to do the things that you're not good at. Yeah. You know, you remind me of so many young people in agriculture in Alberta that I know who don't have an ag background. And it makes me like, I honestly think that a lot of the innovation that's being driven in this industry is from people who came into the industry from another perspective, kind of back to what you're saying that they brought something from those, from that other background, from those other industries that they were part of, or just from, um, from world travel or from, from living in a city and coming into a farm with a fresh perspective. Totally. And young agrarians, so they're all across Canada, but probably uh, BC and Alberta. So they did a study, uh, young agrarians, Alberta, uh, they did a study and 60, two years ago and 64% of people getting into farming have no farming background whatsoever. Like you're talking about. And I, I think a lot of it is to do with like, um, commodity based farming is really, really difficult. And so if you do value chain, and you sell directly to customer, you, you have a much better margins, but in this day and age, it's the social media side of things. So mm-hmm. city people that have grown up on it and grow grown through it, understand the complexity, like how complex that is. And then they're able to sell and cater to the city market better than a farmer would selling to the city market, a city person selling to the city. Um, so I kind of see why more city people are going out to farming. And that's what I'm, trying to do myself like i'm gonna on august 10th i'm gonna be having um a one-day conference first generation farmers with young agrarians cool. and so we're going to be bringing in seven different companies and three different government professionals and educating people on like well, what does it actually take to start your own farming operation or really start your own business yeah um because our our playing field is so different and you have so many support network uh networks that you know get on them you so know? who's who's going to be coming to that event then are you going to be live streaming that at all or how are you going to be sharing that message yeah so i'm about two weeks away from actually launching it it's going to be an eventbrite so you could go onto my website in probably about a month okay. um and, and check it out so rosyfarms.com um it'll also be with young agrarians but uh yeah so i'm gonna have um uh Ega from herbology so she's going to be talking kind of about uh finding your customer um we're gonna have uh, brianna young uh, from Baroa Farms. Uh, so she's going to be talking about her, her flower operation. Myself, I'm going to be talking about grants. Um, uh, yeah, we have so many people. Uh, we have Reclaim Farms. Uh, so going to be talking about um, more than a CSA. So what does it take to be, you know, what kind of product do you want to choose and how do you actually track the finances of it? Uh, we're going to have uh, AFSC, which is a bank. So talking about um, what kind of banks, what banks can do for you, Sturgeon County, which is the county I'm in. So talking about um, what can your county do for you, as well yep. as Business Link in Edmonton saying, well, you know, what can, what resources do you have to support you as you're going through your, your business? So yep. those are just kind of a, a few. Being an entrepreneur, whether it's a- in agriculture or not, like I'm kind of unique in that. So I'm a videographer, full-time videographer. Mm-hmm. Um that works in the agriculture industry as a lot of my clients are in that industry, but I'm not like an agricultural producer, but I, I really think that for, um, for any entrepreneur, there is so, there are so many different hats that you have to wear. There's so many different mini jobs that you need to do within your job or to, to get your, your venture up and running and to get it profitable. You have to understand the numbers. You have to understand, uh, bookkeeping. You have to understand like tax and, 
marketing and the actual product or service itself, like it is so challenging. And I think that's why a lot of people are drawn to it in the first place. <laughs> but so for, for you in your life, when, um, when you're, when you're pouring so much of yourself into this project, obviously there's gotta be times where you feel drained or where you feel you need to be replenished. Like, what do you do to, for self care? What do you do for stress management? <laughs> what do you do for spiritual well being? Yeah. Anything in the, in that kind of realm that you'd like to share? I honestly, I've struggled with partially with depression on and off for a long time, uh, where I put myself in a hole and I just can't pull myself out of it. And so as time goes on, I'm really starting to, analyze the why to it um so for me it's you know how you know how do i get my energy um i think it's just a lot of self-reflection and realizing like if i'm going to do this this is going to be the outcome so i do a lot of meditation so i meditate at least twice uh sorry once once every two days just being realistic yep. and i try and do it for longer stints uh i've got a really erratic mind so I, I use certain kinds of meditations to calm me down other ones to empower me um so like guided meditations or just kind of background music and you have a, what does your practice look like when you, when you do sit down to do that? Yeah. Uh, so I've done a lot of like, um, just a lot of, I've done a lot of traveling and done a lot of different med meditation camps. So it's, yes, it's, it's one thing to say, I'm going to sit down and meditate, but it's almost like to say someone that's religious, it's like saying that I, I religion when someone says I meditate. So there's uh, so many different kinds of meditation. So it's a good parallel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, I do this one kind of uh, meditation for calming myself down, sort of quiet my mind, which is it's a vipassana meditation. And so you just you're literally circling uh, sensation through your body as you're having thoughts pass without evaluation. It sounds really simple, but uh, it's really hard. You call it the monkey brain. So I did a 10-day meditation camp in Nepal. I've done a few locally. Uh, where you're literally meditating for 12 hours a day and Whoa. it's noble silence. So you don't speak to anybody. You don't make eye contact. So you're literally a monk for 10 days. But that was the first time in my, li my life that my dreams made sense. And really? I was calm and felt just generally happy. So, you know, got that experience. And now I, I can live with that experience knowing that I'm not going to be meditating for 12 hours every day, but I can meditate for an hour every second day and know that I'm gonna, my mind is going to be changing. Uh, or another thing is, um, I do uh, some chanting sometimes just as like for positive reinforcement or I do gratitude meditation. So it's like, what am I happy for? And I, I find that especially for me in the morning, a lot of people do it either in the morning or in the afternoon, but, uh, the morning works best for me that it, it just subconsciously sets your day so well. Like it's uh, even doing a journal, a gratitude journal, yeah. um, is just so powerful. So it doesn't have to be meditation mm. and it, it's, yeah. That's... You talked earlier about, um, now this is the practical part of the, the farming. You said, um, have a plan and work the plan. Yeah. It, it's almost kind of, I'm hearing in what you're saying that you're kind of taking a similar approach to your mental health and your kind of your spiritual well-being too, that you have to plan in some, some time in your week or in your day and actually work the plan, like actually do the things that you said, okay, these are going to be good for me. I'm going to do these things and actually do them. Like that's something I struggle with where I know that meditation <laughs> feels great. And I, and I know that I feel great after I do yoga. And for some weird reason, I still don't drink enough water every day. And I don't do yoga as frequently as I'd like to do. And, and I, so I think it under, it comes to understanding your own personality. And like, for me, 
I know that if I set up more like accountability, ex- external accountability, yeah. then I'm more likely to, or structure, then I'm more likely to actually do the things that I know are good for me, that I know would benefit me. But <laughs> so we, we all totally. have our own like failure points, right? Or Oh, it, like, it's 100% accepting it. Like it's it, the push pull of life is inevitable. Like I, yeah. I'm not a monastic monk that is going to be meditating all day, every day. Like I realize that if and I'm a huge junk food uh, person, especially sweets that, you know, it's one thing to say, have discipline. It's another thing to say, I'm not going to have it around me. And so I just admit to the fact that if I have junk food around me, it's gone. It's, it's not going to last a day. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I just don't have it. So I've, I've also found substitutes that if I have like that, that paying for junk food, I have uh, popcorn and butter. Um, so instead of eating something really bad, I have something that's not as bad. Yeah. So it's kind of finding out alternatives yeah. and just kind yeah. of submitting to the fact that I have my flaws and it's yeah. they're changing, but they're going to be there. So I, I got to reference something yeah. that, um, Brianna, Dr. Lutz, your yeah. partner. Um, and so we, we just recorded it before this conversation, but we'll have posted it a week ago. So for, for those of you listening, um, these should be spaced out. I think about a week apart, we'll see how we <laughs> release these. But in the conversation I had with Dr. Lutz, she talked about how, she loves to take the approach of giving her patients one simple thing that they can change in their life that makes a big difference, but it's just really easy to remember, really easy to execute. Like try to eat one green thing a day or uh, people that will take their kids grocery shopping with them and say, hey, you guys can be part of picking out the vegetables this week and pick three different colors or try to have three different colors on your plate. Like yeah. these, it, there's, there's a real power in simplicity. Um, uh, Robin, who's usually the person I'm sitting across the mic with in this, these uh, weekly podcasts, we often are looking at biblical stories mm. and the lessons and, and uh, uh, teachings that those have for even us today. And one of the things I think is so powerful about um, stories from like the Gospels or of Jesus' life is that they're so simple. Like <laughs> the mm. lessons are so, so overly simple. And, and so through parables like... Um, uh, we just spoke about one a few weeks ago, Robin and I, the parable of the fig tree. And the, uh, this landowner is conversing with the gardener. And they're talking about why this fig tree has not been bearing fruit and whether they should wait another year and have the patience to see if, if ah. it will bear fruit after it's given more care or different care or, or uh, you know, tended to more carefully. And, and so there's these like lessons that you can draw out of these simple, simple stories. But often, um, when it comes to just trying to make changes in our own life, whether it comes down to managing our own stress or trying to improve our mental health or trying to be more productive and trying to write a grant application and not fall asleep at your laptop, (laughs) it comes down to like, there are some simple just hacks and tricks and, and changes that we can make that sometimes less is more. Totally. And I to- yeah, I love those kinds of stories are so relatable too, that you can see them within your own day to days, which is, yeah. 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 And I know I've talked a lot with Brie about, you know, um, kind of finding like, the why I guess of everything, but, uh, yeah, it's that, that single thing that you do each day. And like there, there's a, I wouldn't say it's a movement, but it's just, it, it's, uh, a way of doing things. It's you have a calendar and it's 30 day calendar and you just have that month and you have one thing that you do each day and you learn it. It doesn't matter what it is. You could try and learn Spanish. And so you have to, you know, you quantify it by saying how much time you put into each day or, uh, hmm. for me right now for my thing. Um, well, I guess it just ended, but it'd be gratitude. 
So having continue that reinforcement and then after 30 days because they say it's what a 24 to around 24 days is when you start getting a habit is to develop a habit yeah, yeah so then you commit by having a calendar huh. so you have it reassured by writing it down on a calendar every day just xing it yeah and at the same time like i know with myself that i'm not if you drop you know if you want to drop a habit or like if you have a bad habit and you want to drop it the reality is is you're going to drop it and then you're going to try and fill it with something else. And most of the time you refill it with the thing that has been that bad habit anyway. So it's like, well, what are you going to do to replace it? Mm. Um, and so that's one thing that I've been trying to experiment with is if I don't want to do something, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to eat popcorn and butter instead of eating chocolate? It's, it gives me the same kind of sensation, but it's better for me. So I'm going to concede and submit to the fact that I'm going to be doing right. bad things, but yeah. it's like, what am I going to do to better them? So it's kind of so, echoing what Bree's saying. <laughs> that you bringing up the the junk food just reminded me of something I was going to ask you earlier. Being engaged to someone who's in the medical field, so, <laughs> um, being married to a doctor, does does that have a big impact on like is she does she try to um, do you find that her, that she's giving you advice or kind of policing your behavior ever? Is that she it must be hard for her to resist the temptation to like almost have that like well if she was a patient i would tell him that he should do this or he should do that like yeah well you... I, th I think we found a really good like so we have boundaries on what we can and can't talk about i think the biggest because i come from a, a science fitness background so mm -hmm. we have some really good conversations because i understand a huge portion of what she does as well as with horticulture and she specializes in herbs yeah there's I a lot can, of crossover yeah so we have a lot of really good conversations but a lot of it is like i don't if i see a naturopath i don't see brie Oh, really? I, I see someone else just because we don't want to have that. We want to have the separation and treat ourselves as a, a healthy relationship instead of uh, she's my doctor. Right. Um, so we've kind of set those limits, but yeah, living with her, it's great because like even before she was in naturopathic medicine, she was really huge into yoga, which that's what I was into too. Like I was eating a raw diet for a while, really like, so it's so many of what we do are like is parallels. So mm -hmm. there's kind of, as well as we, we do what we can not to judge each other on our own things. Yeah. But, but yeah. support each other with those common values and common like totally. aims and objectives and stuff. And she's so good at explaining things that make it simple. She so is. yeah, I sit there. Yeah, I love okay. That. Now I understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what was kind of your upbringing in terms of like, you didn't grow up in like a, a specific faith. You talked about doing a lot of travel where you um, learned a little bit about kind of Buddhism and, and yoga and meditation. Has that become kind of just in the last little while in your life, something that's uh, been an interest for you or did you kind of, did you grow up with any kind of spirituality my parents actually, or my mom more so, I never really grew up with a, a spiritual uh, upbringing. Um, my mom always said that was the one thing that she always kind of regretted raising my sister and I was not taking us to church often. Um, so I never really, never really resonated with me, I guess, um, that side. But I've always like, even when I was like 13, I was reading the history of the Buddha. Uh, so it always just seemed that that's what made, uh, what I, what drawn me towards it, I guess. And yeah. so done a lot of traveling, uh, went to India, Nepal, um, to learn a lot about the history of things and why. Um, so I guess, I guess to be really, I don't know. I just always liked it. You have, you have a curiosity. You have, yeah. I can tell you have a very curious mind. It gets me in trouble a lot, but yeah, it's <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, but no, it just, it's always made sense to me. And I think just with anything, it's, it's a community of people that I really like to be around. Mm -hmm. So just with any religion, I think doesn't, 
for me, it doesn't matter which one you're with, as long as you're with a good, good group of people that are trying to uh, foster yourself mentally and give yourself support. Yeah. Uh, you never see an atheist at a soup kitchen. So <laughs> the, the communities that you get with religion are just so beautiful. And I think that's a longing that all humanity needs. And to yeah. me, it's, it does matter, of course, which one you go with, but it, that's Buddhism is the one that I've gone, been drawn to. And that's, I've gone to uh, temple in Edmonton. And uh, for me, I, I think you always need to have a teacher. I feel like um, if you like that, this is going off on a tangent, but like yoga is a really tough one because it's been dead for 2000 years that there's been very few practitioners. And so you get people that learn from books and their own experience, but so you don't have this lineage or this um, transfer of knowledge from person to person. So like you look at like when China took over Tibet, that they, uh, there's sects of Buddhism that uh, the monks were all killed. And so it was just the teachings and those teachings are dead. That wow. They will never be revived because the lineage is gone. It's broken. So you wow. need to have that person to person transmission. And I think to me, that's something that's so powerful that I see with uh, Christianity and Hinduism, Muslim, you know, that they have these very long spans of, you know, you have a teacher that can help you and guide you because they've done it. And if you don't have that person that's done it, you're inventing your, your own self. And I've seen some people that uh, have like dive pretty deep into the spiritual side of things. Cause you can with, especially with meditation, you can really get into your inner self and, but you can also kind of har- cause some harm. So if you don't have a teacher that answers your questions to say, mm. why am I feeling this way? Yeah. It can be bad. Um, so that's my thoughts on it. Wow, that is that is really fascinating. I think that you said it it matters which one you kind of find or pick. I I would agree. I think it matters to you. Like it, I think it matters that it feels right for you. But I would also suggest that it doesn't matter in the sense that mm. there isn't a right one. Period. Hundred like, percent. And I think you'd obviously agree with that. That. Yeah. And I think to me the the religions that scare me are the ones that say. Ours is the right one and everybody else is going to hell and everybody uh-huh. else is wrong. And they're so, I mean, it, it's just so obvious to me that the purpose of religion hmm. is to try to make sense of life and to try to make sense of the fact that we're even here and to a- help us answer these big questions or, or to the way Robin, our minister here in the United Church and the one who's usually on the podcast with me, Robin describes it as, Religion is the structure that we build, we as humans build to, to wrap a structure around our, spiritual, our spirituality or our beliefs. Yeah. So it's man-made. All religions yeah. are man-made. And I, some people might be uh, irate with me for saying that. <laughs> That's good, though. That's but, good. Question but it, things. It is. It's, it's structure and it's, it's practice and it's um, tradition mm-hmm. that we've created that kind of uh, helps us come together as a community so that we can do it together and have kind of all be, uh, you know, paddling in the same direction, (laughs) singing from the same hymn book, literally, but also just, um, you know, it's, it's uh, like you said, that, that person to person traditions and beliefs and uh, stories that we've passed on through generation and generation. um, It's, the, you have to ask yourself, what is the purpose? Like, why am I doing this? If you're doing oh. it just because, well, it's what we've always done. We just went every Sunday. Yeah. But why? <laughs> so if, is it adding something to your life? Yeah. Is it helping you when, uh, get through difficult times? Is it, if not, then, I mean, if it's just to have people to hang out with and, and to 
maybe work at a soup kitchen, then that's yeah. great too. But that, that is a purpose in a way, right? Totally. It's almost like, you know, you read the Bible once, it has one meeting. You read the Bible a second time, it has a second. I guess the same thing. People could be irate about that, but it, it suits you for the things that you need. Um, that's why, like, I love two terms. It's like consequence and faith. So consequence is positive and negative. It's not just negatives. And faith doesn't have to be blind faith. It is, you have to have faith to make anything because if you don't have the faith in what you're doing, like, I guess if you're going towards the unknown, you need to have faith that you're going in the right direction. But that's when you have the most growth is when you say, man, I don't know what this is, but I like it. Let's yeah. keep going with it. So you have faith in it, but it's not blind faith. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like even like thinking of uh, like the, the Buddha had seven gurus as he went through his teachings before he created his own. So it's like he went through all these processes of saying, I will master this process. And then, you know, I'm a different person now and I, I need to move on and find the next kind of challenge. So then he went to the next one and the next one. And I think that's, that's the path that I'm taking is that I'm surrendering myself to what, what comes. And then if it suits me at that time, I will learn from it and build that community. But when it changes, I, I accept the fact that I, I change as a person as well. You know, what's really cool about what you just said is that I could almost listen from the from the perspective i don't know whether he's talking about his faith or about his farm <laughs> yeah no kidding eh? <laughs> because yeah. it applies to both yeah. so so perfectly um and i think that's maybe a good place to wrap up our conversation andrew if that's cool with you that yeah. we're kind of closing in on almost an hour here um but you really um strike me as i mean the faith that you have to have to to dive into what you're pursuing and to pursue it with such passion and uh, such curiosity and such determination is really admirable. And, <laughs> <Thank> it, <you. laughs> and it really does require so much faith. So I, I'm, I can't wait to follow along and see how the farm is going. It's, it's, and for people to find a little bit more, uh, you said Rosie Farms is the website. Is that yeah. R-O-S-I-E? R-O-S-Y. R-O-S-Y yeah. farms.com. Yeah. Okay, cool. And what are you on Instagram or any other channels that people should check out? So Instagram, you can just uh, check out Rosie Farms, R-S-Y Farms. Uh, and then Facebook, I have a page. But really, if you want, the thing that I keep tabs on the most is Instagram. That's what I really yeah. enjoy. Just because yeah. it's so uh, picture-based. Visual, yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's really cool and exciting. And I think you're doing something that's um, it's so different and unique. And that Thanks. makes it interesting. But also just the heart and soul that you bring into it as well. It makes it exciting to... To learn about so thank you for sharing your story with our community and um i, I look forward to hopefully one day seeing the farm and, <laughs> yeah. and hearing about all your success yeah thank you so much it was such a, a experience to sit down it was and just talk it's beautiful thank you so much yeah this is fun <laughs> thanks again